I think of all the 12 minor prophet books, Jonah is probably the one that we're most familiar with. I think the storyline, many people would know, God called a prophet named Jonah. Jonah was from the northern part right near Galilee. And God called Jonah to go preach to Nineveh. If you were to look at a map, Jonah is here in the northern Galilee. Nineveh is the capital of Assyria. So God has called this prophet to go to a foreign country to go preach to those people. Jonah doesn't want to do it. He is just not keen on that at all. Of course, there's all kinds of guesses. Pastor, why do you think Jonah didn't want to go? Well, Nineveh was an enemy. And uh, Jonah, maybe he was afraid that if that enemy got right with God, God would use that nation to hurt his own people, which is indeed what happened. That is exactly what happened. But he didn't want to do it. So instead of him going northeast, the Bible says he went to the coastline, took the first ship, and it looks like the ship wasn't even a passenger ship. Looks like it was a cargo ship. And so we're familiar with that, and uh, we're going to look a little further. You know, Jonah is the story of a believer who is disobedient to God. We know that's certainly a possibility. It's the inside look into the heart of a servant of God who ministers to people but doesn't love the people that he ministers to. And, of course, Jonah is really an Old Testament picture of foreign missions. God's not just interested in us getting the good news of the gospel to the people where we're at. God wants us to get it around the world. And that's really what Jonah is a picture of. Uh, what we looked at last uh, time is some great messages that were preached by sinners. You would have thought that in this four-chapter book that the greatest message would have been Jonah preaching to Nineveh. And certainly it got the greatest effect. But there were some messages we saw last week that sinners preached to Jonah. And again, I won't re-preach that. Preach, what are we looking at today? Uh, would you notice there in Jonah 1, if, uh, if I could, I'd like to read verse 15, 16, and 17. And if you would follow as I read, beginning in verse 15. So they, that's when Jonah was on the ship. So they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from her raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we're thankful for each one that's here, Lord. Some are not, some are traveling. Some may be home not well, some may be at work, couldn't come. And Lord, wherever they're at, we pray you'd minister to their hearts. But Lord, I pray you'd help us. Help us to get some practical truths from this very common story that most are familiar with. Help us to understand, uh, help us to apply it to ourselves. Help us to be the better for you because of it, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, the verses leading up to verse 15. We know that uh, because Jonah uh, had been disobedient to God, we know that, uh, that uh, God sent trouble to the entire ship. And how often it is when one of God's people isn't obedient, others hurt because of that. And uh, these seamen, they didn't know what to do. And so they asked Jonah what they should do. And after they tried everything else, they tossed him overboard 
because they knew either they all were going to die or he was going to die. And you know, really, that's a wonderful picture of Christ. We know that everyone in this world is going to die. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. So all of mankind is condemned to die. Not only are we condemned to die, we're condemned to go to a place called hell. And the options are the same. Either we all die or one dies in our place. And really, Jonah was a substitute sacrifice in place of all the rest of them. They tried everything first. They tried to throw the wares of the ship overboard. We found that verse number five. That didn't solve it. They tried everything that they could until finally they sacrificed Jonah. And the Bible says that when they did look there in verse 15, so they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from her raging. The moment that they sacrificed Jonah, all of their trouble stopped, all of their difficulty stopped. And you know, when Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for our sins, when someone accepts that as the substitute for their sin, all of their troubles and all of their future is settled. There in verse 16, Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. But verse number 17, Now the Lord had prepared a great fish. It's interesting. In verse 16, the people on the ship had gotten right. But when you get to verse number 17, Jonah is still not right. Jonah, though he is in that water, his heart is no better than it was when he was on the ship. And as much as God loved all those people on the ship in that he provided a way for their being saved, God also cared for Jonah. And so you know what, whether uh, someone's lost and needs a savior, God cares for them. Whether someone is saved and themselves not walking with God, God cares for them. I want you to notice a couple of words there in verse 17. The Bible says, Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Prepared. You know that word prepare, prepared, preparing is found 201 times in our Bible. And as I began to think about here, God is preparing something special for Jonah. It's almost like God's in heaven's kitchen. And he is just whipping up a storm. He is making a special platter just to get a hold of Jonah's heart. If you're taking notes tonight, I'm going to preach on that thought. Some things that God has prepared. Some things that God has prepared. And uh, do you know what? Uh, there are some good things that God's prepared. There are some not so good things. Look there, if you would, first of all, in John chapter number 14. We're going to get back to Jonah by the end of it. But uh, we're looking here this evening at some things that God has prepared. Now, as much as there are 201 times that that word prepare, preparing, prepared shows up in the Bible, some of those times are what men prepared for someone else. For instance, we know there in the book of Genesis, we know that Rebekah prepared venison to give to her son to deceive Isaac. So sometimes that word prepare in the Bible is what uh, some person prepared for someone else. 
Sometimes that word prepare in the Bible is what people prepared for God. How many times in the Old Testament are we read that Israel was instructed to prepare a sacrifice? So if we take out the number of times where men prepared something for other men, if we take out of that 201 the number of times where men prepared something for God, we're only left with a handful of times where God has specifically prepared something for you and me. We're going to rejoice. Some of those are very good things. John chapter 14, I know it's familiar, but look there in verse number 1. John chapter 14, verse number 1. Jesus said this, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Do you know that is a familiar text? How many times that text has read in a hospital? Someone is sick, someone's in bed, someone is, uh, their, their life is passing before them, and they're not sure they're ever going to get better. And if you ever make a hospital visit and have a New Testament, or many have now a Bible on their phone, Pastor, where should I read? <laughs> There's a perfect place to read. Here they're troubled with what's going to happen. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Again, we're looking this evening at some things that God has prepared. If you're taking notes, the very first thing that God has prepared is a sensational home in heaven. A sensational home in heaven. I know that sometimes in the Bible, that word heaven refers to our atmosphere. Sometimes it's where the birds fly, where the kites fly, where the planes fly. Sometimes the word heaven refers to this, we'd call it the first heaven. Sometimes the word heaven refers to what we call the second heaven, where the stars are, the sun, the moon. That is the second heaven. But there is a third heaven, and that third heaven is where God is. Let me give you a verse on that if I could. Look there in Isaiah 66. Keep John. Isaiah chapter 66 and uh, verse number 1. Isaiah chapter 66 and verse number 1. That third heaven is where God is. Isaiah 66 and verse 1. The Bible says, Thus saith the Lord, The heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. So we know that in those beginning six days of creation, God did create the first heaven. We know that God did create the second heaven. But God didn't create that third heaven. That place that we refer to as heaven, that has been the eternal abode of God. And back there in John chapter 14, look at it again. Our Lord is saying to his disciples, who are troubled. See, preacher, why is it that they were troubled? Because our Lord has just told them in chapter 13, one, that he's going to leave. Two, before he leaves, that one in their midst is going to betray them. They are troubled. I mean, here their comforts and their confidence and their, uh, their comradeship with Christ, it's just been thrown in an uproar. 
And in their trouble, he says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. I say the first thing that our God has prepared is a sensational home in heaven. I want you to notice there, it talks about there being mansions in heaven. I know that if you have a new Bible, it's been changed from mansions just about to anything else. Some have places. Believe it or not, at least one has apartments. If you live in an apartment, this is no criticism, but aren't you looking for something even better than when you get to heaven? I heard about this young preacher in Saskatchewan, of all places, and he was trying with very little success to shift his congregation from a King James Bible over one of these new Bibles. He was trying to convert that church to change their Bibles. And in his attempts to do that, he was reading from his text, John chapter 14 and verse number 2. I know that in our Bible, the King James Bible, in my father's house are many mansions. But that young preacher read, in my father's house there are many dwelling places. That's not near as enticing as mansions. Well, there was one senior lady in the church, an old saint of God, who stood up and sternly said to that young pastor, young man, I want you to read that scripture again, but from my Bible. She said, I've lived in old rundown houses and apartments and dwelling places all my life. I'm looking forward to a mansion. Folks, don't trade your Bible for something new. It's not better. Stick to the old-fashioned word of God. Heaven is an eternal place. Look there, keep John if you would, you can let go of Isaiah. Look there on Hebrews chapter number 12. Hebrews chapter number 12. Now again, this word prepared, it's kind of like God went to the kitchen of heaven and God cooked up something specifically for somebody. Our Lord is preparing for you a place and uh, the indication it's a mansion Hebrews chapter number 12, say, preacher, what's so great about heaven? Well, look there in Hebrews 12 and verse 22. Hebrews 12 and verse 22, But ye are come unto Mount Zion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Heaven is the city of God. Well, that's enticing. That's where God's at. That's God's dwelling. Not only is it the home of our God, but look there in the last part of verse 22. It says, and to innumerable company of angels. So not only God's there, Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God, but there are an innumerable uh, company of angels that are there. But not only that, look there in verse number 23. It says, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven. You know what? The saints are there. Why wouldn't you want to go there? Uh, why, why would you rather stay on this earth instead of going to a place called heaven? Heaven is an eternal place, and why do we love it? Heaven is the melody that carries us through every heartache that we face. Heaven is the harmony that makes the Christian life worth living for Christ. Heaven is the Christian's anchor. Heaven is uh, the Christian's answer we have a song that we sing from time to time. Heaven is a wonderful place filled with glory and grace. I want to see my Savior's face. Heaven is a wonderful, heaven is a glorious, heaven is a wonderful place. And God used the word prepare. 
Again, I say to you that heaven, a sensational home in heaven. Look there if you would in Revelation 21. Revelation 21. Now, I, I think that, say, well, preacher, what's heaven like? Well, you know, there's not a lot of verses to tell us what heaven is like. There are probably more verses to tell us what heaven is not like. Up there in Revelation chapter number 21, it really gives us an awesome picture of this place that we call heaven. Up there in Revelation 21 verse 4. Revelation 21 verse 4, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. It says, And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain. Uh, in heaven there's no sickness. In, in heaven there's no suffering. Uh, in heaven there is no, I'll give you some S's, there's no separation. When we get to be with God, we'll never be separated from God. In heaven there's no sorrow. Look there in Revelation 21 verse 22. Again, Revelation 21 verse 22 says, And I saw no temple therein. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. You know, the temple, of course, the Old Testament word for uh, church or sanctuary. You know, as John is describing this place, he says there's no temple. There's no church building. You know, the best of church buildings, buildings have problems. Paint peels, lights flicker, uh, and new gets old. But you know, when we get to heaven, there'll be no sanctuary because God is the sanctuary. Uh, Revelation 22, verse 5. And there shall be no night there. Night is always an indication of trouble and uncertainty. There's no uncertainty. There's no shadow there. Again, uh, Revelation 21, 27. And there shall in no wise enter into anything that defileth neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie. There's no sin there. And then uh, Revelation 21, look at verse number 1. Revelation 21 and verse 1, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. S-E-A. Pastor, what is that? There's a number of scriptures that talk about the fact that between, we know the first heaven, that's the sky. The second heaven is the, uh, we're the sun, moon, the stars. There is a great body of water that's between that second heaven and that third heaven. It's called the sea. And so that's not a reference to the Mediterranean Sea. That's a reference to that sea, and that presently is the abode of Satan himself. He's gone. I'm saying to you that heaven is no suffering and no separation, no sorrow, no sanctuary. There's no shadow, there's no sin, there's no sea. Heaven is a wonderful place. Preacher, you've gone to great lengths to tell us what heaven is not, but what is heaven? Again, to be honest, there's not a lot of details. But it's a wonderful place. I give you a second thing that God has prepared. Look there in Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, if you're a believer, you are looking forward not for this earth to get better and better. It's not going to happen. You're looking forward to heaven. You're looking forward to being with the Lord for all of eternity. There's a second thing that our Lord has prepared. We're certainly glad that he's prepared that place called heaven 
But you know what? Just because he's prepared that place doesn't automatically give us entrance to it. So that's why the second thing that our Lord has prepared, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 5. Wherefore, when he, that's Jesus Christ, cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. We know that God the Father, in eternity past, made plans with God the Son that Jesus Christ would come to this earth and live on this earth and die for the sins of the world. But our Lord, in eternity past, he was a spirit. God is a spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. So God the Father prepared a body for God the Son to indwell when he came to this earth. Again, look at verse 5. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 5, Wherefore, when he, that's Jesus Christ, cometh in the world, he says, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body thou hast thou prepared for me. Secondly, if you're taking notes, the second thing that God has prepared is a Savior who could take us to heaven. A Savior who could take us to heaven. God knew before the world began that Adam and Eve would plunge the rest of humanity into sin. And God, knowing that that would happen, God planned to prepare for his own son a body that Jesus could indwell and uh, that Jesus could walk on this earth. Uh, you know that we recently had a man that has visited the church and uh, he's not here, so I can share his testimony. I, I was concerned that he was saved. So I asked him, I, I said, uh, tell me, are you saved? And, and at first, his answer was a little vague. And, and I know, because we talk to people about salvation all the time, that we're kind of more up on the terminology than maybe someone else that doesn't talk about it all the time. And, and so he gave an answer, and we talked about some other things, and I brought it back, and I said, now, I need to ask you again. Do you know for sure that you're going to heaven? He said, I do. I said, how do you know that? He said, well, my answer is threefold. <laughs> That's pretty good, threefold. He's got that much to say. He said, do you know that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to be born in Bethlehem in a human body? <laughs> I wasn't even sure he was saved. He's starting off pretty good. And he said, then he lived on this earth and was a perfect example for mankind to see. They took him and they nailed him to a cross, but not because he sinned, because we sinned. I thought, boy, he's doing pretty good. Uh, he's almost ready to teach Sunday school. And uh, he said he died for our sins and he rose again. And he's now in heaven with God the Father. I said... Wow, and I was about to ask him, you can know all of that, but if you have never trusted Christ as your Savior, you're not saved yet. You can know the facts, but it has to be personal. So I was about to ask, and he raised his hand, he said, that was the first of my three. <laughs> and when he gave the second one, he said, it's not enough to know it, you have to believe it. And I thought, wow. And I said, have you believed it? He said, oh yes, I've trusted Christ as my Savior. Glory to God. 
Now, do you know what? It's one thing for God to create a perfect place called heaven and then make a mansion for you and I in heaven. But all those mansions don't give us automatic right to enter that place, and that's why God prepared this second thing. That's why God prepared this a Savior who could take us to heaven. And of course, we know that Jesus did die on the cross, and Jesus became our entrance to heaven. Heaven is not automatic. You must come to Christ as a sinner. You must believe that he died for you. You must receive Christ's payment in your place. Do you know man can go to hell in his own way? But to go to heaven, you have to go God's way. Man is saved by believing Jesus Christ. And Calvary showed how far man would go into sin by crucifying the perfect Son of God. And it also showed how far Christ would go to save lost sinners. I say to you, secondly, second thing God's prepared is a Savior who could take you and I to heaven. I give you a third thing. Look there in 1 Corinthians 2. We're chasing down this thought the Lord had prepared. Some things that God has prepared for you and for me. The first thing is a sensational home in heaven. Second thing is a Savior who could take us to heaven. Would you look at the third one there, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse number 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9. The Bible says, but as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared. There's our word. The things which God hath prepared for them that love him. You know, Paul is writing to the Corinthian believers. And he says, this world has no idea all the things that God has prepared for those who trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. And some only read verse 9. Don't stop at verse 9. Because verse 9 says we have no idea. Look at verse 10. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit, for the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. This world has no idea all the things that God has prepared for each one who trusts Christ as their Savior. But we do. If you're saved, the Lord has already begun to reveal those things. He's given us forgiveness of sins. He's promised us a home in heaven. He's given us a perfect Bible. He's given us an indwelling Holy Spirit. He has given us a teacher that will explain what the Word of God says. He has placed us into the family of God. He has given us a local church family. It's endless, the things that God has prepared. And there's that word again. And so it's not just a flippant, I got saved, I guess that's it. No, no, that's just the beginning you're taking notes, the very third thing that God has prepared is a shower of blessings from heaven. You know, David wrote this, Psalm 68, 19, Blessed be the Lord who daily loadeth us with benefits, even the God of our salvation. So God's not only saved us, 
God gives us benefit after benefit. Uh, we wouldn't have enough time in the service to talk about all the things that God has done after he saved us. Forgiveness of sins. A second chance and a third and a fourth. My God has been good. You know, many years ago in England, there was a kind-hearted man that wanted to give a preacher. The preacher's name was Rowland Hill. He wanted to give him some money to just enjoy. He wanted to give him 100 pounds. Apparently back in that day, that was a lot of money. And he said, I want you to spend it any way that you'd like. But instead of giving it all at once, this kind-hearted man chose to forward five pounds at a time. And so he's going to give him 100. So he's going to get 20 times he's going to receive a letter. So all the man said was, I just, God's laid it on my heart to be kind to you, and I'm going to give you some money, spend it any way you want. So he gets this envelope. This is the first envelope. And he's, he's all excited. Wow, I can spend it any way I want. He opens it up, and there's five pounds, English money. And that's, that's okay, I guess. Not a lot of money. But it had a little note with it. More to come. <laughs> and he thought, wow. He got a second envelope a couple of weeks later. Sure enough, five pounds. No, it's in there. More to come. He <laughs> said, a couple weeks ago. More to come. More to come. More to come. I, you might have been a little disappointed at week 20. Isn't that what God's done for us? Folks, God's not only saved us, but he continues to add blessings on top of the salvation that he's given. We don't deserve the salvation. We certainly don't deserve all those endless blessings. And I think we need to rejoice in that. God has prepared those things just for us. I say the third thing that we learn, the third thing that God has prepared is a shower of blessings from heaven. Isn't it true that every blessing that comes from our God includes the same message, more to follow? As uh, our Savior, he's forgiven our sins, but there's more to follow. We are justified by the righteousness of Christ, but there's more to follow. We're adopted into the family of God, but there's more to follow. We are educated about heaven, but there's more to follow. We're given grace upon grace, but there's more to follow. He has helped us whether we're young or middle-aged or even older than that, but there's more to follow. He promises to uphold us in the hour of death. He promises to carry us into eternity. His mercy is without measure, and uh, when you land in the world to come, there's still more to follow. What a blessing. Again, that's what he's prepared. I give you a fourth thing. I'm done with this. Back to where we started, Jonah chapter 1. Jonah chapter number 1. Again, we're chasing this word our Lord had prepared. Jonah chapter 1 you're in Micah, you've gone too far. Jonah chapter 1, look there in verse 17. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now remember, the third thing we talked about was a shower of blessings from heaven. But that's blessings that God wants to give you and I as we walk with God, as we are obedient to God. It's endless what God has in store for us. But that same God who wants to bless us immeasurably, 
That same God loves us enough that when we have taken a turn off the path, boy, he's preparing something for us right there. And have you noticed these words, verse 17? Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. I'm going to take that word swallow. Do you know the fourth thing that God has prepared is a swallow that could enrich you in heaven? You say, Pastor, what does that mean? Well, he prepared this fish, and, and there's a lot of critics that would say, well, preacher, it doesn't even say it's a whale. It says it's a great fish. So again, they take issue with the fact that we would say Jonah was swallowed by a whale. Keep your hand in Jonah. Look there in the book of Matthew, chapter number 12. We never take just one verse on its own. We don't ignore any verse. But there are so many times a verse is enhanced by another one. Look there in Matthew 12 and verse number 40. Jesus, while he walked this earth, made this statement. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 44. As Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly. So we don't doubt that the Jonah 117 great fish was a whale because Jesus said it was a whale. So we don't, we don't have any issue with that. Anyone that would attack that on the lack of the word whale in Jonah 117 hasn't read the rest of the scriptures. But what I'm saying to you is, while Jonah, no doubt, a child of God, while Jonah is having a difficult time being obedient to God, God says, you know what? I love you still, Jonah. I'm going to prepare something. And God prepares a fish to swallow up Jonah. He said, preacher, do you really believe that's possible? First of all, do you believe that a whale could swallow a man? And you believe three days later that that man could come out alive from a whale. You know, there's all kinds of historical records. I want to read you one. Just, you might have heard this before. You might never have heard this before. Sooner or later, you're going to bump into a critic of the story of Jonah. And they're going to say, you don't really believe that. Absolutely. There are records in history of people that have been swallowed by whales and came out at the end of that and they were still alive. Uh, possibly the best-known account is a man named James Bartley. And it is on official record uh, in, in the British uh, records. He was a British seaman who was swallowed by a whale. And he lived to tell about it. Bartley was making his first and only trip as a sailor aboard a whaling ship called Star of the East, February 1891, they were sailing along with fair wind a few hundred miles east of the Falkland Islands in the South Atlantic. Suddenly, the lookout on the top of that ship, he cried out, there she blows. <laughs> that was a statement that they could see a whale that was blowing that air. He had sighted a huge sperm whale half a mile off the port bow. Quickly, the captain of that ship slackened her sails. The whaling crew scrambled on three small boats, they headed off to harpoon that mighty mammal if it was possible. Well, this young James Bartley was the first on the long boat to reach the side of the whale. They pulled slowly on their oars so that sail, uh, the sailors could get right beside this creature. Then they harpooned it as they leaned over the side and they drove it deep into that whale's vitals. And then Bartley and his fellow seamen backed frantically to get out of the reach of that massive whale. 
because it started flashing and thrashing as it knew it was hit. And for a moment, all seemed to be well. They were pretty confident they got it and they were out of danger until that whale plunged deep into the ocean and their rope is unraveling and they've got that thing measured. It goes 800 feet down. Then it stopped. Well, they had experience. They knew what was next. It was about to come up. So all these guys on this whaling ship, the, the boat, they've got their hands on their oars. They're waiting for where it comes up. Because if it comes up there, they're going that way. And if it comes up there, they're going that way. And it's completely silent. And they know it's about to happen. And you know what comes up right underneath their boat and it shoots that thing up in the air. Uh, there was an ominous slackening in the line. The great beast was coming up, but where, and in such cases as a matter of life and death, the sailors did not have to wait very long for their answer. They hunched over their oars, ready to pull for their lives once they knew which way to pull. And without warning, the sea boiled up around them. There was a splintering crash as their frail boat spun into the air. That mortally wounded whale thrashed about madly in his agony, beating the water to a bloody froth before uh, he sounded to the depths again. He had come up directly under the boat, smashing it to bits. He'd thrown the planks and the wood and the oars and scattered about. The men were tossed into the air and came crashing into the sea. A nearby longboat picked up the survivors, but two men were missing. And one of them was James Bartley. Well, the wind that had blown recently, it had now stopped its blowing. And uh, she wallowed in the long swells with her sails flapping. Shortly before sunset, that same fateful day, that dying whale floated the surface 400 yards from the vessel. That crew hastily fastened a line to the whale. They winch uh, brought it slowly to the ship. But the hot weather made it necessary for it to cut up that meat quickly before it spoiled. Since he had no means of raising the 100-ton mammal to the deck, the men took spades and peeled off the thick blubber as they slipped and slid along the creature's back. It was dirty work. It was dangerous work. All because the blood that was pouring from the whale had now attracted a great host of sharks. Shortly before 11 that night, working by lantern light, the tired crewmen uh, retrieved the stomach and huge liver, hoisted them aboard for processing. But there on the deck, they were startled to notice movement inside and a slow rhythmic movement that looked like breathing. And the captain called the ship's doctor and their incision was made and a human foot stuck out became visible, shoe and all. A moment later, they pulled out one of the missing sailors. It was James Bartley, doubled up, unconscious, but alive. Perhaps for want of anything better, the excited doctor ordered Bartley be drenched with buckets of seawater. This treatment soon restored consciousness, but not any reason. Bartley was babbling incoherently as he threshed about in his delirium. For almost two weeks, he lingered between life and death, strapped to the bunk in the captain's cabin. He gradually recovered his senses. It was a month before he was able to tell what happened. 
It wasn't a fairy tale, but a preacher invented to prove his point. This is on record. It was a signed document, signed by the medical doctor, the ship's captain, and the entire crew of that ship. When Bartley, near only a month later, was finally uh, able to regain his senses and discuss what happened, he said he remembered being flung into the air when the whale crashed the longboat. He recalled falling back into the sea and seeing the tremendous mouth open over him. He screamed as he was engulfed. There was a frightening rushing sound which he believed to be the beating of the water by the whale's tail. Then he was encompassed by a fearful darkness. There were sharp stabbing pains as he swept across the row of tiny sharp teeth. They have a bracket. Bartley is giving his recollection. He erroneously refers to teeth. His failure to make a thorough scientific study on the way down has to be forgiven. Then he found himself sliding down a slimy tube that seemed to move and carry him forward. The sensation lasted only an instant. Then he felt that he had more room. He felt about him and his hands came in contact with a yielding slimy substance that seemed to shrink from his touch. Bartley said, it finally dawned upon me that I'd been swallowed by the whale. I could breathe easily, but the heat was terrible. It was not a scorching, stifling nature. It seemed to open the pores of the skin and draw out its vitality. He became very weak and grew sick at the stomach. He knew that there was no hope of escape from this strange prison. Uh, death stared him in the face. And he tried to look at it bravely, but the awful quiet, the fearful darkness, the horrible knowledge of where he was, and the terrible heat overcame him. Bartley affirms that he would probably have lived inside this house of flesh until he starved, for he lost his sense uh, through fright and not from lack of air. He could recall fighting for his breath, kicking about in panic and terror. Then blissful oblivion, he could remember nothing else until regaining consciousness one month later. He had been in the belly of that whale for 15 hours. As a result, he lost all the hair on his body. His skin was bleached to an unnatural whiteness. It looked as if he had been boiled, and he was almost blind for the rest of his life. He spent his remaining days as a shoe cobbler in Gloucester. Numerous medical men from many lands came to examine him, and to discuss his incredible experience, he lived for 18 years after his adventure. And on his tombstone is a brief account of his experience. The footnote reads, James Bartley, 1870-1909, a modern Jonah. Now, all that's fascinating. So it could happen. It certainly has happened. Do you know what our point is? God did all of that just to get Jonah's attention. And so listen, folks, if you're living right, if I'm living right, if we're living for God, serving God, God has endless blessings to bless your life and my life with. But if there's something that's not quite right, that same God that wants to shower you and I with blessings is the same God that's going to prepare something just to get our attention. What a good God. He said, well, that fourth one doesn't sound so good. Sure it does. He loves us that much. And so again, it just pays to live for God. It pays to walk with God. Because otherwise, God's got something he's preparing 
just for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the text. Thank you, Lord, that when they threw Jonah overboard, it became calm and peaceful. And isn't that a perfect example of Christianity? Before we're saved, uh, we're destined to a devil's hell. When we trust Christ as our Savior, when he becomes the substitute in our place, all is well. Lord, we thank you for preparing heaven. We thank you, Lord, for preparing a body for your son, Jesus Christ, to come to this earth that he would die on behalf of our sins. We thank you, Lord, being saved is not all that you have planned for us, but you have prepared innumerable blessings. The Lord, the warning is really pretty sobering. When we're not doing what God would have us do, there's no limits to which our God that loves us so much will go to prepare to get our attention. Help us, Lord, to pay attention the easy way. May you remind us of this this week. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.